Yeomans is a psychotherapist and a group facilitator. She currently has a private practice in Concord and Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts. She was one of the founders of the Women's Well, where she directed a nine-month program in spirituality for six years. She's very interested in embodied spirituality and authentic movement. She's currently writing poetry and is a grandmother of two. Welcome, Anne Yeomans. Thank you, Anne. So glad to have you. I wanted to start out by asking you to tell us what is a vision quest? Well, in this case, it was going into the woods for four days and four nights. But I think all cultures, if you go back far enough, have had ways that people could leave the community, leave the village, and go into the wilderness to get answers or experience of passage or um, to, to just find what their next step is in their lives. So when you say passage, almost like a rite of passage yes. from coming into adulthood or something Coming like into that. another stage of life. Uh-huh. And was that true for you? Well, in a sense, yes. Um, I'm, I was at the time 66 when I did this. So in a way, I'm looking at at least the last third of my life mm-hmm. and uh, wondering uh, what the right use of my time is, what I'm being asked to be and explore and how I want to use my uh, attention and my energy. Great. So so you headed out into the wilderness, and I understand. Tell me a little bit about what you're allowed to bring, what you can eat, things like that. Okay. Well, we didn't have... we on, In the four days and four nights of the Vision Quest, we had no food, mm. uh, but we had water. I had four gallons of water, one for each day, and I must say that water tasted very delicious. <laughs> <laughs> better and better by the fourth day, oh, right? Oh, every, every swallow was so delicious. You really actually began to appreciate water in a very wonderful way. Mm. So I had water and no food. I had a warm sleeping bag. I had the kinds of things that would keep me safe if the weather changed, you know, layers and uh, a tarp if it were to rain, but I didn't have a tent. Mm. And uh, I had a flashlight. And that's about it. And do you go out and choose the place that you're going to be, or is there kind of a designated area for this? It was a, it was a, uh, in this case, it was a women's vision quest, and there were five of us doing it. And there were two women, Anna and Carrie, who were holding it or guiding us. Uh And so the five of us went out and found our spots where we would spend those four days and four nights. And they were apart from each other, so we didn't see each other during that time. Uh So you were very much alone. Yes, it was. This was all in central Massachusetts, uh-huh. in the woods. And so, when you first started thinking about doing this, Anne, were you were, were you afraid? Were you worried about it? Were you excited? What was your response to the idea? I think I was quite scared and worried that I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. The thing I was most afraid of when I look back at it was uh, some of my physical vitality. Would I have the strength to do it? Yeah. Would I have the courage to do it? And also, how would it be to not eat for four days? Yes. I was quite worried about that. I thought that I would be dizzy and weak, and uh, how, how would I possibly not eat for four days? And is the not eating important? Like, I can imagine wanting to do this except for the food part. <laughs> <laughs> how is that important? I people feel that way, but um, Anna, the, one of the guides, reassured me that the food wasn't going to be the hardest part about it. 
And oh, also, that's very reassuring. It was, it was, <laughs> I just took that on faith. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I trusted her, and I thought, okay, well, maybe that's not the hardest part. Uh, and it certainly wasn't. It wasn't, because I wasn't. think for me, where my mind would go is, uh-oh, that means something will be even harder. Well, yes, I think I probably had that thought, too. Yeah. So so you were worried about those things, and, and what was it about this that felt so compelling to you that you decided to face those fears and and do this anyway? You know, it's a hard question to answer. I'm, I think I've always been a seeker, and I've wanted to find out why and who I am and where I fit. Mm. And um, that's just been with me all my life. I, I, mm-hmm. So it was really true to who you are to do this. Yeah, it, it was, was very annual. With other choices I had made, but I do think it was probably the bravest. Uh-huh. Well, that's great. So you headed off, yeah. and this was about, is it about a year and a half ago now? A year and a half ago this was, in October. Okay, and do you choose one spot where you are, or is it, do you move around? How does that work? Well, you have one spot, and um, so I w- walked out with my heavy pack and uh, and uh, somehow had a sense to turn up a hill and suddenly came across this wonderful area with some large stones and a and so I thought, this is it, and it, mm. it isn't too far for me to carry my pack, and it's very private, and it's up a little higher. And so I set up my camp, so to speak, there and made myself a bed and, uh, you know, found a, a lovely place to sleep and also a place which would be kind of an altar space mm. where I could put things I found and, and come to sit and um, ask my questions. Yeah. So would you be willing to share with us what were some of the questions that you brought with you? Well, we worked, we prepared, the five of us prepared for this time, and the guides were wonderful in helping us prepare. And uh, one of the things we needed to do was to craft an intention. Mm. And um, we worked with... uh, a process to try to clarify what our intention would be and the idea was that you would get that and you would hold that the whole time and at first my intention was like what is my purpose in the rest of my life right <laughs> and as i worked with what they call the four shields uh, uh which was like a mandala process i began to see that really uh what i needed to focus on was quite different it was it had to do with pleasure and enjoyment Mm. So, even though it sounds strange, I went out to the woods with no food and no bed and no uh, shelter to uh, explore the question of pleasure and enjoyment. Uh-huh. And you only found that out once you were already out there? What? And you already knew, you, already, you only found that out once you were already out there? No, no. I, I knew that before I left. Oh, I see. I see. So yes, I well, went out to affirm that part of myself, to give birth to it, to look at what got in the way of that, and to make that more part of my life than it had been. How wonderful, and also how paradoxical that one would do it in that way. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds quite delicious, though. Um, so what I wanted to ask is, could you describe for us a time when it really, you really did feel fear coming up and sort of paint the picture for us about what, what that was like for you, what kinds of thoughts were running through your mind? Mm-hmm. Well, I would speak of two times. One was the very first afternoon. I got all settled, and then, now what? 
you know. Mm, yeah. And I be- so I began to explore around me and took a, a walk and soon found that I was lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was scary. I had my day pack and I, I had you know, a tarp in that day pack, and I knew that I could, or maybe I had a space blanket or something, that I, I, but I had fantasies that I might have to spend this first night sort of sitting under a tree, huddled, waiting for the dawn. Mm. And it was scary. Yeah, so you couldn't get back to your tarp, yeah, the space. Yeah, I couldn't get back to my spot. And uh, yeah. so, uh, actually, I, I ran into someone, a young woman who was on the, on the quest, and she she led me back to the path, and in a way, that became part of the story. Yes. That the young woman led me back to the path. Yes, how wonderful. It was. It was wonderful. And with that, I, I decided I shouldn't wander so far. I should stay near my spot and just sort of circumnavigate it for a while until I really got... I wouldn't go any farther than I could see it. So yes. I... That sort of grounded me in my home spot. That was the first learning. And then the, the other big, big fear, which was bigger than, much bigger than that, which was, was the night and the yes. dark. Yes. And let me just say at this moment, this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space. And I'm talking to Ann Yeomans about going into our fears. And, this, and Ann is telling us about her vision quest and being alone in the dark. So please tell us that story. So the first night came, and you know there I was, lying in my bag, and without a clock too, so I didn't know what time it was. I just knew it was dark, and um, looking up at this dark sky, and I think I just heard every leaf and every stick, yes, and every bit of wind and every crackle, and and, and I was really frozen and with fear and I thought maybe I won't sleep these four days how will I possibly let go Mm. surrender into it yeah yeah I I was very frightened and I didn't think I would die from it but I certainly didn't know how I would get through it and how I would ever let go to sleep and were you imagining I mean I can in thinking about this I was imagining fears that wouldn't really make sense in the wild, but I was imagining perhaps out of being socialized as a woman, sort of fears about there's some rapist lurking in the woods that just is going to find me here, or, you know, fears of being attacked by someone. Did you have fears I like that? I do have those fears, but I didn't have them then. Um, I, I, but I feared animals. Uh-huh. Um, I felt like some creature, even a small one, is going to suddenly run across my sleeping bag and yes. my you know, my hair, or yes. uh, I felt, uh, and, I, and I imagined all kinds of things with every sound, right. um, a porcupine, or I didn't know what, it was, and they, they would startle me, mm. so that, that, was, that was the fear, um, how noisy how long the would this night be? Yes, and so then what happened? Well, at one point, whether I fell asleep and woke again, I don't know. Um, but at one point I opened my eyes and there were some stars Mm. and I started to cry and I began to hear a song that my husband sings about the stars, which has the lines, um, make me willing, make me brave, uh, something like that. Mm -hmm. Make me, make me willing, make me strong, make me brave as the day is long. It's a song to the stars and. And in that moment, I didn't, you know, something let go, and I expanded again, and I felt 
the presence of the stars and and also of of him yes and also of music excuse me and also of music yes of Song. music as well mm-hmm. yes so it it was from this very contracted fearful state and just and uh not knowing how to get out of it and then suddenly this gift of light yes and you do watch the light very much in this kind of situation you begin to know you know where the moon is going to rise and you wait for it and you hope there will be stars and in this case the stars were a complete surprise i wasn't waiting for them yet and there they were and the fear subsided and i felt held again and Mm. i'm struck as i'm hearing you how much disorientation was an issue that the markers how we kind of anchor ourselves in space around maps and directions and mm-hmm. clocks and time and that you didn't have a map and you didn't have a watch and how much that was a part of your experience is sort of how to know where to where to hold yourself in the absence of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the, um, the uh, sunrise and the sunset and the moonrise and the moonset um, all became very important markers. Yes. Once I began to be aware of that, like the first night, I... I sat as the sun went down so I knew exactly where in the trees it went down and the next night I could look in that direction. Yes. And it was same with the moon uh, when I saw it rise uh, and then the, then I waited for it. Uh, yes. Know. How quickly you did orient yourself to the markers yeah. that you did have. And it made you feel connected to all, you know, to earlier times when that's in fact what uh, people... That's how they did mark, mark, mark themselves. How they did place themselves. They had to live in relationship to those signs, and yes. I could see why they would dance to them and sing to them and that tell stories about them and build stones in relationship to them. It all made sense to me. Yes, and how cut off we are really from those cycles by being in cities where we can't yeah. see stars because of lights and so on. Yeah, that we've come indoors and we've lost this connection, which is really, I think, encoded in our cellular memory that it is there. And when you go out, as I did, um, there's an opportunity to remember that connection, mm. to refine it. Yes, and to be nourished by it even, it seems. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to ask you, because I know, having heard you speak about this once before, that you had also an experience with coyotes. <laughs> and I, I want to ask you about that. I want to hear what that was like. Well, the, the last night uh, before we were going to return, we were, um, we, were, we were encouraged, if we wanted to, to stay up all night and to wait for a vision it was sort of the culmination of the experience, and I don't think I did stay awake all night, but I moved my sleeping bag into my altar space out from where I'd been, from my, quote, bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and during that night, which uh, I, f- I heard the coyotes, it felt like all night long. I felt like they were on all sides of me. They would move from one side to another. How close they were, I don't know. Uh, but in my imagination, they were quite close. But who knows? But they they seemed to move to the to, to the different um, different sides. And uh, by then, you know, I had not eaten for four days. Yes, I had really surrendered to the experience. So um, 
was I, yeah, it was scary, but there was nothing to do but to live it, really. Because I can imagine, you know, when we think about how we weaken someone's psychological defenses, we yeah. think about making them be tired and hungry. Or, you know, as a parent, one knows with children that when you're tired and hungry, that's when you're most likely to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. have less good judgment. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that, that you might have even been more afraid by that point, but it sounds like that was not the case. I don't think case. so. I think I was just in the experience doing the next thing, and much has, was behind me, and I had come through numbers of fears, and yes, it was scary. Uh, Yes. But, I thought what I might do, actually, is play a song just for a moment. Sure. Um, that uh, gives, it's actually a wolf, not a coyote, but just to give a sound for us so we get a feel for it. So we're going to play Paul Winter's Wolf Eyes. So that just gives me a feel. I mean, as I hear that, and I know it's a wolf and not a coyote, but mm -hmm. I can feel the kind of primal mm -hmm. sort of sound and almost like the, the hair on the back of my neck going yeah. up. And yeah. um, I'm struck. So you were surrendered. And, and so the thing that you feared wouldn't happen on the first night when you thought, can I ever release into this? Really, by the end, you were right there. You were just present to it. I wouldn't say the fear was gone, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I no. was surrendered to it. I was going to do this and let it. It was bringing me gifts, yeah. You know, all along. Yes. So I want to get to that in a minute. Um, this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space. I'm talking to Anne Yeomans about her experience on a vision quest in the dark, alone at night, uh, and what that was like. So before we get to the gifts, Anne, I just want to ask you a little more, you know, part of how I think about fear is that it can snowball, it can build on itself, mm -hmm. and then one starts to imagine things that are so unlikely, but that start to feel more and more likely the more that I think about them. And, you know, I was finding myself wondering whether you were thinking, you know, well, do coyotes attack people? I and definitely thought that. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> yes. thought, did they tell me? I thought, you know, we knew there were coyotes, and we 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 heard there were not bears, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but I thought I remember thinking, I wonder if they didn't tell me if coyotes eat people. Right, right. <laughs> that would be uppermost in my mind for sure. So that kind of wild imagination definitely gets going. Yes, and and were there other times other than the moment that you described so beautifully with the stars where you? found a way to slow that down and kind of steal yourself from that mm -hmm. runaway train of fear? Well, I, I think when I saw the times when I would see my mind kind of spinning out of control, yeah. I knew to come back to my breath. Yeah. I knew to walk slowly. I knew to, to really focus on the present moment or on exactly what was around me or what my own sensations were, uh -huh. and those things all helped. Yes, yeah, so and also to remember another thing was to remember the uh, the people who were supporting me, and there were lots of them who knew I was there and who loved me a lot, and to feel their energy with me. 
Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'd like to say another thing, Anne, which is that it, it has to do with allies and gifts. But um, one of the things we were encouraged to do was to let ourselves be led. In other words, if we we were drawn to a tree or a bush or some part of nature to let ourselves be drawn to it rather than to have a plan mm-hmm. and um, and also to talk to it, so to introduce ourselves to it mm. and to let it talk to us. So I began to do that. And again, and then I felt I was left alone. Like I totally befriended a wonderful earthy tree that was that was near my spot. And she became a she, and she began to talk to me and tease me. <laughs> and uh, that was true with a bird, too, that came through a number of times. So that that may seem strange, but in a way, you've walked into that symbolic world, to that world where myth and dream and this live. And I was it really is, um, there are many allies as, as well. It makes me think about, you know, what I've always heard about the Native American way of relating to the land as an animate being, as a sentient being that could be in real relationship with you. And it's amazing how natural that became. Uh How quickly. It it wasn't hard at all, and it it always was reassuring, and I felt then I was making connections everywhere. Wow, that sounds really lovely. So is that what you're meaning when you were talking about gifts? Well, I think that was one of the great gifts, and it's one that is still with me in the sense that I know that I could go again and do that. Um, So, yes, and the other gift was poetry. Um, I felt like I was in a place where poetry is, and uh, I began to have lines of poems come into my head. Mm. I wasn't looking for that. I didn't identify as a poet. I wasn't trying to be a poet, but... I could feel poetry trying to come as I emptied, you know, as I emptied myself, as I got simpler and as I yes. didn't have any food. So your, inter- right, so your interest in poetry is new and yes. since that time. Yes. Oh, what a tremendous gift. So that, right. in fact, has become a direction for yeah. this last third of your life, as you yes. were describing it. That very much uh, came from that experience. I thought, oh my goodness, if I go to the woods and don't eat and just listen and walk and look and experience, poems start coming into my head. That's telling me something. Yes. And were you sad that you didn't have a way to write them down? I actually did. Oh, you did? Did you I smuggle did. that in or are you allowed to do that? I want to speak about the two women who led this because one of the things I loved about what they did was that they were not rigid. Yeah. And they said to us, well, you know, if you're really worried about not eating, Bring a couple power bars, so just so you know you have them. Yeah. And they also said, if you think you should have a journal, bring one. And so I brought a journal. I also brought some colored pencils, which I never used. And I didn't know that I would use it, but I did have a way to write them down, and I'm glad. Yeah. I think in, in, the, in the strictest sense, that, that isn't always done, but I love their, uh, their ways and their trust of us. Yes. Yes, that you could make it just right for you. You didn't have to be following some absolute standard. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I want to ask you now, Anne, as you walk about in your daily life, do you feel that your relationship to the sun and the moon and the trees 
lingers with you in that way, or does it feel like it fades quickly? I would say this experience is still unfolding. I went back a year later, and I and I had spent another day there, not a night, but it was wonderful to return and to feel all those places again, and I hope that I'll do that again next year. But I do feel a, a, a much deeper connection to the natural world and wanting to be there and um, wanting to attend to the moon and the stars and and to draw strength from them. Yes. yes. Of course, I now forget them at times. There's no question about that. But I was out just um, snowshoeing the other day, and I could feel the dark coming on, and I felt that sort of wonderful feeling of... Um, it's hard to describe just the quality of being out there and feeling the light change that reminded me very much of the evenings on the Vision Quest. It's wonderful to hear, Anne. You know, as I was imagining doing this, I was thinking of it almost like this sort of macho proving test, like I can do this, I can go and face my fears. And listening to you, I realized in a way how how that's not the biggest part of this at all. It was about the the presence that you felt there and the way that you were... Still yeah, I, I, I think it, there was certainly the, the, I am proud that I did it, and I do yes. feel there, it took a tremendous amount of courage. So in that sense, yes, but there was such richness and uh, gifts. Mm. I think in that vein, we, we're going to have to end in a minute. I, I know you have a poem that you wanted to share, and I wondered if in closing you would read David Wagoner's poem to us. Yes, I will. The poem is called Lost by David Wagoner. Stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen. It answers, I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Mm, Anne, thank you so much. That beautiful poem seems so in keeping with what you've been telling us about. I want